Hi, my name is Marie Cheslick. I am the founder and sommelier of Slick Wines, which is a fun and approachable wine education platform. My fun fact is that I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons recently. It's a really fun way for me to stretch my creativity in a way that does not involve content creation or wine. I've really been loving it. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that turns to chefs and home cooks with a big question in mind. What is their one? That recipe that's homey and comforting and pairs well with anything. This week, we're making a toast to Marie Cheslick. Marie's a Wisconsin-born registered nurse, a certified sommelier, and an entrepreneur. She's also one of the faces of Slick Wines, a wine education company that wants to make the wine world more approachable and fun for everyone. Not just that pretentious diner mansplaining a bottle at the restaurant table next to yours. You may recognize Marie from her quick videos explaining what's going on behind the scenes in the wine world, or just reacting to iSpice's wine tasting. But she can tell you the rest. Here she is. Marie, hello. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me, Jesse. Oh my God, it's great to get to talk to you after following you on Instagram and so many socials for so long. So for people who don't know you already, you've been balancing working on a book, updating the online wine course that you offer through your company, Slick Wines, and you've been doing private tastings and events. It's a balance you've started calling Michelin Star Meets Dive Bar. <laughs> was this always kind of how you planned out your career or was it just kind of happenstance? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good que- <laughs> That's a good question. You know, so I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I did not grow up with wine, which I feel like is very common for most Americans. I grew up drinking beer in basements like you should when you're a Wisconsinite. <laughs> and I felt like that, you know, a lot of my career I've worked sort of in high caliber restaurants or Michelin star restaurants. And I just felt like that the balance of highbrow and lowbrow is very important for accessibility as well. And it just kind of keeps it real, right? I think wine has a huge accessibility problem and approachability problem. And there's this paradox that happens when the more you learn about wine, the more boring you get, unfortunately. (laughs) So it's like not taking yourself too seriously and kind of just reeling it back, you know? So I just want to be myself, be authentic, and also be able to say, I have expertise. I can teach you about these things, but it doesn't have to be so horrible. Like, let's have some fun with it. It's 2023, baby. Let's break it all down. Let's, you know, knock down those barriers because wine should be for everyone. It's literally just smooshed grapes in a bottle. So let's do it. (laughs) I love that. So wine is always meant to be enjoyed with food. You know, that's the point. (laughs) But in the course of both embodying everything that you wanted to be and also trying to break down some of these barriers, you've been making really fun videos that pair random foods with wine. How has that changed your relationship to cooking? (laughs) Well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun making these videos and making a lot of this content. And it was never my intention to start making a ton of videos. But the first one I made, I just felt like I liked the challenge of distilling really big topics into 60 second or less videos. And people love food, right? I think food is a universal bonder. Everyone eats, people have to eat, right? Wine is something where you don't have to drink it every day, right? So I think you kind of just get a smaller pool of people interested because of that. So I kind of use food as a tool to get people more excited about wine. A lot of the cooking I've done, my dad growing up, he was a great home cook. He was never a professional cook. 
but um, he works in water treatment. He's an engineer, but he worked for a French company. So he would go to Paris once every couple of years and he loves cooking. So he would like, when he was in Paris, he would go take these French cooking classes. And so mm-hmm. he was always a pretty good at home cook. And he taught me a lot of what I know about cooking. And it was really just a great way to bond, right? I mean, I have such a close relationship with my dad because of that. And I feel like when you add wine to the equation too, you're just adding another point of interest to me. The best pairings either make the food better or make the wine better or ideally make both better. So I like the challenge with that too. Come on, poetry. Come on, (laughs) jazz right now. So going with that thread, what are some of your favorite wine and food pairings? And then also what have been some of the weirdest that you've done for these (laughs) videos you weren't expecting to make? Yeah, sure. I mean, so I think the classic pairings are classic for a reason. And I think this is something I teach in my wine course as well, is that understanding the classics can help you understand what might work in the future. So uh, for example, tannins in red wine, the sort of sticky uh, astringent, oversteeped black tea feeling that you get, that dryness of a red wine, really goes with the fattiness of certain foods. So you can think like a big piece of steak, or you can even go like a ton of olive oil and like a moussaka, right? Like it kind of play with different forms of fattiness, whether it's animal-based or plant-based. And then of course, there's always champagne and fried chicken. That's a contrasting pairing, right? So champagne, bubbly, crisp, refreshing. And then you have something like fried chicken, which is like, ooh, so like rich and salty and deep and like fatty, right? And the contrast is really almost like a palate cleanser for the chicken. It's like, if you were to eat three pieces of fried chicken in a row, you're going to be like, that's kind of a lot. Like I'm feeling like kind of, you know, heavy on the palate, right? But adding the champagne in there, it's like a whole new palate cleanser and you just like liven everything up. And I would say probably the most interesting pairing I've ever had. We did a very bougie, very fancy caviar dinner for New Year's Eve for a client last year. And the woman I've been getting my uh, caviar from, which... (laughs) I never thought I would be able to say or be able to have is like, I've got to, I've got to hook up. I got a caviar lady. <laughs> <laughs> I asked her what her favorite pairing is. And I was sort of expecting something classic, either like champagne or uh, Sancerre, something that is classically paired with these things. Mm-hmm. But she's like, you should try Añejo tequila. Ooh. So Añejo is an aged type of tequila. And I'm like, what? I was like, I would have never even considered that. But we gave it a try. I was shocked. I just didn't know what to expect. It was perfect. It was probably one of the best pairings I've ever had. The smokiness of the like Añejo tequila along with these like crisp sort of acidic caviar pieces. And they also just brought out this smokiness, which I didn't even know they had. It's the perfect pairing of like it brought something out in the Añejo tequila and it also brought something else in the caviar. So that was something really special. And I think the ones that take you by surprise are the ones that are the best. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I'm i screaming. This sounds <laughs> so, so good. Okay. So back to the subject at the heart of this episode, food. What do you bring in today? What's your one recipe? So my one recipe is a tribute to my Midwestern roots. It's a hamburger helper recipe by Priya from the New York Times. Oh, yep. Priya Krishna. She's a friend of the show and we love her. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, her recipe is a homemade version. And uh, my wife also is from the Midwest. She loves that stuff as well. So it's sort of my own riff on it. I made it more of a weekday meal as opposed to, I made it exactly the way it was when it started or as it is. (laughs) And it kind of just felt like nap city, which is, you know, totally fine and good, but it was just kind of (laughs) heavy. 
So, so you're saying it's like you eat it and then you're immediately ready to take a nap. Yes. You're done for the <laughs> Thank day. Thank you for clarifying nap city <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> it made sense in my brain, but thanks for clarifying that. I was right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly it, though. It's just I wanted something that I could enjoy it and just have it be comforting, uh, but still feel a little light on my feet afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So can you walk me through it? So yeah, so you're really for this hamburger helper recipe, you're going to start with chopping an onion in pretty big pieces and you're going to caramelize it. And she gives a suggestion in the recipe for 20 to 25 minutes. And for me, it's worth that patience. I find the longer you caramelize it, the better it tastes because that's really where you're developing a lot of this flavor that's coming with it that (laughs) maybe hamburger helper used MSG, (laughs) you know, they had like a little cheat sheet for it to make it delicious. But I think, you know, making the onions, I almost make them like super dark brown, like Hershey's chocolate kind of color, right? Almost like a, like a gumbo roux color, you know, and it's like really so dark. So sometimes I'm sitting there for 45 minutes and I know probably only freaks do that, but for me, it's worth it. Uh, But you know, (laughs) caramel it for as long as you have patience for. I add just a little bit of garlic and I don't cook it off for that long just so it gets a little bit fragrant. And then I cook off about a pound of ground beef. We get this really great beef in Chicago. It's called Slagle. So we cook it down for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And then uh, that's when you add your wine, you know, because <laughs> have to. And so you're deglazing the pan, <laughs> obviously, right, with this wine. But I've done this a lot of different ways. Like the recipe calls for white wine, but I've used rosé. I've used red wine. I've even used, and this doesn't happen in my house very often, so don't judge me. But when I don't have wine in the house, (laughs) I know, shock. (laughs) Scandal, scandal. Big scandal. So I've even used like champagne vinegar and watered it down in a way and tasted it. And I'm like, does this taste like wine? Like sometimes I'll just play that game of being like, I'll just piece something together so it can be N-A- non-alcoholic friendly, or if I just don't have the materials. So you'll deglaze the pan with that. And then you'll add some chicken stock. Of course, you can use the box stuff. But again, we're freaks. We make chicken stock at home. But again, to me, (laughs) (laughs) this is what makes the difference for this deeper flavor, right? Like caramelizing the onions and then using your own homemade chicken stock really seals the deal for how delicious this is. The original recipe calls to add heavy cream as well. I do half and half Um, I can't really taste the difference and it just, I don't know, maybe just makes me feel better. (laughs) And then (laughs) hot sauce, you know, everyone's got an opinion about hot sauce, right? My personal favorite is Valentina, especially in this recipe. I kind of go more for the vinegary. I'd even use Frank's Red Hot in this situation, but I feel like the vinegar kind of cuts through some of the richness happening is here as well. So I just feel like a more vinegary hot sauce. Uh, And then, yeah, a little bit of paprika, bay leaf. It's all getting added to the pot. And then you want to, it's going to look very soupy by this point. It's going to almost look like there's too much liquid, but that's perfect because you have to add pasta in there, right? And the pasta is going to cook right in the pot as well. Uh, I like using the, you know, squiggly pasta. I don't know what the real Italian word is, but the squiggly or the better. (laughs) (laughs) It makes it taste better, you know, or elbows, whatever sort of nostalgic pasta shape you want to use, go ahead and use that. It's like half the package of it. Uh, And then you just let it boil. You let the pasta cook in there. Then you'll want to, once it's really reduced down and it's looking more like the appropriate liquid to solids ratio, then you're going to want to add the cheese. And the cheese, always a big conversation in these... (laughs) In these situations always, as well. Always. I know what's up with that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important. It's important what kind of cheese you want to use because the recipe, original recipe, calls for half cheddar 
and half processed cheese, like American cheese, right? And for me personally, I use all processed cheese because I just think it gives it that like creamy, almost gummy, just nostalgia bomb sort of factor to it that really makes me I, I hate saying this because I'm sure people say it all the time, but it's like eating a hug. I'm sorry. It's just true. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Uh, Even though it sounds a little terrifying, it's yeah, super comforting. Fair. And we don't we all know what you mean. All right. <laughs> okay. So we've got our cheese in the pot. What do you do to kind of finish it off? Yeah. So you really just want to cook it down and have it be sort of the texture and consistency that you're looking for. If you feel like it's a little too thick, you can add just a little bit of extra water. And then I really just ladle it into a bowl. And then if I feel like I need something green on top, I'll chop up some chives and just put it right on top. So it feels, you know, kind of good for me. What wines are you pairing with this? This is kind of the beautiful thing about recipes where you have to deglaze with wine because I'm a big believer in just using the wine that you deglaze the pan with because like really in theory it's already in there so it's already has this inherent connection to the dish but no matter kind of what wine you pick whether it was a white wine like uh, she had originally suggested again I talk a lot about contrasting and complementary pairings just like I did at the beginning of this podcast right so this is a little more with the white wine like a contrasting pairing like the fried chicken and champagne like you you're using this acidic white wine to kind of cut through the richness of the beef and the richness of the uh, processed cheese in there, which is always sort of nice to have a palate cleanser for these sort of things. For white wines, things I like to have at home, just like in general, are probably French Chardonnays, specifically from a place called Chablis. These are Chardonnays without oak. And that's my preference, not only for cooking, but for drinking. I find that the oak... You'll find oak Chardonnays in places like California or South America, like in Argentina, right? And with that, you kind of, I feel like the oak can be polarizing for people. Either they love it or they hate it. And when I say oak in a wine, if you've ever had a wine, especially Chardonnay, that tastes like buttered popcorn or like vanilla, right? These are things that are characteristic of oak. And I feel like, yes, it can be polarizing. But let's say you want to do a red wine instead. You have, you know, Mom's coming over. She loves red wine. Fine, mom. We'll do red wine. Yeah. So <laughs> as far as red wines go, I think you could go either light-bodied or big-bodied, which really just means you could pick anything. But I think the thought process would be that beef and red wine are friends. It's that fat content. They just go together really nicely. I do think a lighter red would play a little more in your in your favor because, yes, you're complementing that beefy flavor, but you also get a little bit of that contrast with the acid with a lighter bodied red wine. So a lighter bodied red wine would be maybe like a Pinot Noir from the Willamette Valley in Oregon, or I'd even go like a Sangiovese. So that would be a Chianti mm. from Italy. Ooh, fancy. And <laughs> you can tell when a wine has higher acid when you take a sip and it's this visceral, literal feeling of your mouth watering. Like if you were to suck on a lemon, right? That it means the wine has high acid. So anything that does that is uh, food friendly. Well, Marie, this has been so much fun. Thank you for making so much time to talk. I cannot wait to make this recipe and indulge in the nostalgia. <laughs> You're going to love it. It's going to be great. Marie Cheslick is a sommelier and co-founder of the wine education business, Slick Wines. You can find that recipe for her hamburger helper on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. And hey, if you liked what you heard, you can like and subscribe. It makes a world of difference. 
This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic.